0: And good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I will be your host for the next hour or so here on WFMU Freeform Station of the Nation. Thanks so much for joining me this evening. Uh, This is a little bit unusual, but I am recording this part of the show after the original broadcast, uh, just a couple of hours after. And here's the reason why. Uh, During the original broadcast of this evening's show, April 18, 2022, uh, I had a settings issue um, on my computer, which (laughs) caused all sorts of mischief on the stream. And so my audio for the middle 20 or 25 minutes of the show, the audio was all glitchy and uh, messed up, and there were dropouts, and it was just... It was no fun to listen to. And hearing that um, when it got posted to the WFMU archives, I thought um, the beginning of the show sounds good, the end of the show sounds good, but I have to re record those middle 25 minutes. And that's what I'm doing here. So, what we're going to do is we're going to play the beginning of the show as it originally aired. And that's going to go for. Oh, uh, roughly 20 minutes or so and then i'm going to break in again and i'm going to tell you when we're going to shift to my re-record that i'm going to do right here but first let's go to the beginning of the show from april 18 2022 before my <laughs> wacky settings did all sorts of weird things with the stream here we go from studio t in the former athletic gear closet here on the upper west side of manhattan You may have heard that um, WFMU is in our second COVID lockdown, so a bunch of us are broadcasting from home, just like the old days from uh, the original COVID lockdown. And, uh, of course, I would prefer to be in the studio broadcasting from the big board, as usual, but, uh, but I, of course, understand why we're doing this and i support that and i want to uh give a big shout out and thank you to alan who is board hopping there in downtown jersey city thank you for helping uh as part of the skeleton crew are we calling it the skeleton crew I, I actually don't know but anyway thanks for <laughs> thanks for helping out alan and thank all of you for joining whether you're listening over the fm band or over the live stream or perhaps in the future on a uh on an archive version or podcast version, both of which you can get from wfmu.org or tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H-Tonic.fm. I'm really happy to um, give you this show this evening because it is a show that I have been meaning to do for, uh, for, for some time, actually, um, for probably a couple of years. This is a show, most of it, after my intro, I have something... Not, um, not topical to the theme that I need to say, um, but the, the main theme is, uh, is about data brokers, and that has been an area of concern for years now. This show is uh, coming up on five years old uh, in September, and I, for the majority of this show's run, uh, of majority of Tectonic, I have been concerned with data brokers, what they are doing to your data and i have not had a chance to cover it on a show and then john oliver ran a show uh eight days ago about data brokers you may know that uh, john oliver he used to be on the daily show i think he was a i think he was a stand-up comedian uh before that then he was on the daily show and then he got his own show on hbo called last week tonight and um i I don't have HBO, so i, d- I don't really um, I don't really watch it, except once in a while. Uh, Oliver does a tech themed show, and over the last couple of years, he's done a couple of these, and I have been impressed with um, the work that he and his staff do in putting together really accurate and 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 well turned um, messages, I guess, about what uh, the big tech companies and their vassal Uh, partners are doing to all of us, and this evening, not just the big tech companies and the data brokers, but uh, the government, and not just one government, (laughs) we're going to get into it. Everyone is participating in the surveillance capitalist economy, and uh, I thought John Oliver did a good job of uh, going, I mean, in I think about 25 minutes, he gave a good overview of the situation. I want to say, I want to touch on what he told you, and then I want to um, broaden it because I think, and this is not a criticism of of Oliver's show, but I, I do think there is a larger problem that data brokers fit into, and we're going to dig into that in this hour coming up. So stay tuned for that. First, I want to say something as as I mentioned, that's not uh, topical to data brokers, and that has to do with what's happening on Twitter with Elon Musk. I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail, but um, you may have seen the headlines. Elon Musk, uh, depending on the day, he's either the richest or the second richest man. I think he's been in the richest. I think he's been the richest man in the world uh, for for some number of months now. Anyway, uh, one of the wealthiest people in human history has decided to make his new spectacle. He's always uh, inserting himself into the news with one spectacle after another, and, which seems to work well in, in this media environment. And uh, he has made it his current hobby horse that he wants to buy Twitter. At first, he seems like he made a, a, a feint and said, oh, I'm just going to buy Uh, uh, enough of it to put myself on the board and then I'll agree not to buy more than that and then he said no I'm not gonna be on the board now I'm gonna buy the whole thing you can never tell where he's headed and that's part of I think part of the appeal for his media coverage is that he's unpredictable and um, and in a way spectacular not in a good way but in in the in the sense that he creates spectacle wherever he goes well that got me thinking about Twitter and uh, because I, I, as I have told you friends over the years, um, I've, I've forgotten Facebook and I have, what, what did we do last year with the sign-off? Incinerate Instagram? I forget what the I was. Anyway, I've been off all of the Zuckerbergian toxic cesspools for, uh, for years now. But I, And I don't use uh, TikTok or Snapchat or any of those. But I did make an exception for Twitter. And I spent a fair amount of time on Twitter because uh it allowed me to invite certain guests onto this show, and it allowed me frankly to learn about certain potential guests for the show it was It was really um, helpful in certain instances in a way that you know sending an email through an agent wouldn't always have uh, have gotten me the access. and I learned about certain news stories that have been helpful so Twitter. Uh, leaving aside the enormous downsides and um, and and, and enormous uh, list of problems that Twitter has caused in this country and around the world, I felt like there were some narrow benefits to the show and I was going to stay on. Well, Elon Musk said, I think I might like to buy the company. And again, you don't know if you can take it seriously, but it just seems like a very unstable situation over there. And look, here's the problem. If Elon Musk buys it, <laughs> can you imagine uh, what Twitter might turn into with Elon Musk removing all sorts of controls and uh, and unleashing his, his army of superfans uh, onto the world through Twitter accounts? It would just be... To the extent that Twitter right now is a cage match... Um, between extremist ideologies that's like, who can shout the loudest? It would just be even worse. So that's not a great outcome. And there were a lot of people on Twitter who were bemoaning the possibility of Musk uh, taking it over. On the other hand, what if Musk does not take it over? What are, what are we already looking at uh, on Twitter is just a, a crazy town, um, inhuman set of uh, algorithms and shady uh, decision making opaque decision making about accounts and I don't want to I don't want to get too deep into this because I, I could do a whole show on uh, the problems with Twitter's moderation and uh, how it has distorted the media environment such that people like Elon Musk and in fact as I said a a lot a couple of years ago, the previous occupant of the White House made, uh, made very profitable use of Twitter until he was kicked off, It's turned the whole world into a shouting match. And whoever can create the most uh, gross and perverse spectacle of himself um, gets to be, you know, the, the richest person in the world or the president of the United States. And that has horrible distorting effects on democracies all over the world, not to mention civil discourse and everything else. All of this is to say that um, I have Elon Musk to thank for bringing me to a kind of a decision point, um, Thinking, making me think, what happens if he buys it? What happens if he doesn't buy it? Why am I still spending time on this site? Now, I'm not here to announce that I've deleted my account, but I have uh, posted a kind of a sign-off for now, and I want I want to give it some time not on Twitter for a while and see how it goes. Um, I have a number of books in the pipeline that I already have uh, have here uh, at home to read or are on their way, and so the the pipeline of upcoming guests is is um, <laughs> there's no problem there. I have plenty to talk about, plenty to read and learn and share with you, friends. So I'm going to take this time now that the pipeline is full of books that I've got to get through, and see how it is not being connected several times a day to the toxic cesspool that is Twitter, whether or not Elon Musk buys it. I just don't have any faith in that company. Um, not that I ever did, but I certainly don't uh, right now. So that's, uh, that is that uh, is Elon Musk. And uh, if you want to read more, there's an interesting piece in The Atlantic from April 14, so just uh, four days ago, by Rene DeResta, who's written a bunch and uh, researched a bunch on social networks and misinformation. And there's a piece called Elon Musk is fighting for attention, not free speech. And DeResta writes, Twitter serves less as a town square than as a gladiatorial arena. you know basically what I was saying about the cage match. And that's responding to Musk's uh, comment. He's made a several several times that Twitter is the de facto public town square. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine if Twitter, of all things, was our actual town square? Our, our public town square in this country—what a mess! I, and and maybe it is, and maybe that explains a lot of the mess. So anyway, I am going to step away from t- Twitter for a while, for a while, and see how it goes. And uh, also, thanks to our our very own DJ Sheila B from Sophisticated Boom Boom uh, Fridays, from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern, a great show and a great DJ and a friend of mine who uh, took the step. I think a couple of years ago now of actually deleting her Twitter account, and I didn't take that step, so this is the first step toward possibly getting to that point at some point, or maybe I'll keep it around for the for the odd announcement, but we'll see. okay, shall we move on to uh data brokers? This is the main event for this evening's show. as I said before this um this was precipitated this show theme was precipitated by an episode of John Oliver's HBO show last week tonight, which aired on April 10, just eight days ago. And what happened was a week ago, um, I was broadcasting the show and a couple people asked on the message board or emailed me, hey, did you see the John Oliver piece? And yes, yes, I saw it. I watched it on, um, on talks at YouTube. And I, in fact, have posted the link to the John Oliver uh, episode for, for you to watch at your leisure, if you don't mind being uh, tracked and surveilled by YouTube, by Google's YouTube, while you do it. But as I said before, it's an effective overview of data brokers. And I want to just share a little bit from that John Oliver show. I, I have two excerpts. Um, they're both, uh, one's a minute long and the other one's two minutes. So it's it's not much. Um, and I took out some of the naughty words and some of the uh, irrelevant jokes, irrelevant to us anyway, for what we're talking about. So let me let me start with just a minute from John Oliver. Again, this is from his April 10 show, and there's a link on the playlist at wfmu.org. Click playlist and comments, and you can see that, um, and you can watch it for yourself. But this is let me turn this up. This is going to be John Oliver just for a minute, giving a little overview about data brokers just so we can uh, set the stage here on WFMU Tectonic.
1: What all these companies have in common is they collect your personal information and then resell or share it with others. As one expert puts it, they're the middlemen of surveillance capitalism. But this, this isn't just about the convenience and or irritation of targeted ads. Data brokers operate in a sprawling, unregulated ecosystem which can get very creepy very fast. The major US retailer OfficeMax knew not only that Mike Say's daughter was dead,
0: but how she died. It says, Mike Say, daughter killed in car crash, or current business, and this is my home. Why would they have that kind of information? Why would they need that?
1: Right, and obviously that is completely appalling, but I will say it is not. That's surprising to me. The truth is, when it comes to data brokers, they know significantly more about you than you might like and do significantly more with it than you might think. So tonight, let's talk about the whole industry. And let's start with how your information is collected. Basically, every time you interact with society, you are leaving little breadcrumbs that can be gathered together and sold. And much of this happens online, thanks in large part to cookies.
0: Okay. So that's just um, one minute from early in the John Oliver show talking about data brokers. And I thought that was a good overview. He's he's stating that uh, data brokers are capturing this uh, stream of, of, as he says, breadcrumbs that you leave wherever you go, whenever you uh, interact with society, which... By which he means interacting digitally with society, which um, many of our interactions are digital now, and they're 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 uh, many of them are fully surveilled, and uh, and he brings up the uh, the the concept of a cookie. Most people, I think, in 2022, probably understand what a cookie is. They've been around since the birth of the web, almost in the late 1990s. It's just a, a little identifier that. Allows originally the idea was it would allow a website to identify you as having logged in, so it has your email and your password, and then when you come back a second time, maybe the next day, you would not have to type in your password again because there's a little identifier um, on your web browser that said that would say to the website, "Oh, hey, it's me. I'm I'm coming back." And it was just a, a matter of convenience which in the early days was really important because if we all had to type our password into every single site, uh, every time we tried to log in, every time we visited, uh, that would have made the web prohibitively difficult in the early days, and it may not have had the uptake that it that it in fact enjoyed. Well, early on, uh, the, the idea of a cookie for convenience, purely for, and I, I'm not saying this sarcastically, this was purely for the benefit of the user. Of course, the company benefited by uh, having people uh, visit more, but, but it was intended to make it easier for users to come back to sites. This is all to say that cookies were not evil originally. <laughs> there, was, there was a good intent behind them originally, but then um, somewhere along the way, companies figured out, oh, wait a second, if we can identify someone when they come to our site, why don't we identify them when they go to other sites, too? And the companies that really, uh, really perfected this, the surveillance across the web, meaning tracking you uh, not just on their site, but on every site you went to, the two companies that perf- that pioneered this and perfected this are Google and Facebook. And if you want a a, a little history of how this came to be, and how Google started it, and then Facebook quickly followed in Google's uh, footsteps. Read Shoshana Zuboff's book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. Uh, Zuboff has been on the show before. Um, I'd like to get her back on the show at some point to to do an update interview. But, but it really is an excellent book, and it talks about the birth of what she rightly calls surveillance capitalism. It, started, it all started with the, with the cookies. Well then there was so much value in what facebook and google were doing that there there arose a whole i would call it a cottage industry but that implies that it's uh, small somehow it a giant industry i should say of data brokers a whole um another probably misused word or overused word but ecosystem ugh but anyway a whole ecosystem of companies hundreds of them that are buying and selling and trading the information that you leave as you as you travel across the web. And some of these are uh, d- data brokers narrowly defined. There's a bunch of different um, uh, categories of companies in that data sharing, surveillance, capitalist economy. For example, I don't think that um, Google and Facebook would technically be considered data brokers in the sense that you know, we'll talk about some data brokers in a few. We'll name a few in a few minutes. But there is a larger ecosystem of data broker type activity, um, on top of which sit Facebook and Google, and now increasingly Amazon as well. Uh, so the three of the three of the four big tech companies are um, are primary actors in this data broker uh, based. Uh, surveillance economy, Facebook, Google, and Amazon, and I want to throw Apple in there as well now. Apple makes a big deal uh about oh we're we're all about privacy and Tim Cook is always saying uh, you know don't look at our uh, partnership with the chinese communist party don't don't look at our um Suppliers uh, in China that are reportedly using um, imprisoned Uyghur labor. No, 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 no. Look at our privacy promise. Privacy, privacy, privacy. That's that's his mantra to take it to try to uh, drive your attention away from the less pleasing aspects of what Apple is doing. Well, uh, <laughs> let's just let's just look at that just for one minute. And I'm sorry for this digression, but I I want to I want to establish friends. The, the big tech companies are at the top of this ecosystem under which the data brokers that we're going to talk about right, in a few minutes are, are operating. So the, the kingpins, if you will, of this completely disgusting and unethical practice of surveillance capitalism, the kingpins are Facebook. Well, first of all, is Google, then Facebook, then Amazon. And we're back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst, I'm your host, and we're doing something a little unusual this evening. I am re-recording, or about to re-record, I guess, the middle section of the show from just a couple hours ago, from April 18, 2022, because there was a stream issue. Uh, It was an issue that originated on my home computer, and uh, the the issue, as far as I know, is now resolved. But uh, the archive, in its original form, was not very fun to listen to with lots of glitches and dropouts. So I'm going to continue here as I sit here and I'm going to, um, it's not going to be word for word, but I'm basically going to go over (laughs) what I was trying to tell you in the middle 25 minutes of the show. And then when I get to the point in my monologue, when uh, the stream snapped back into position and things sounded fine, then we're going to go, back to the original broadcast, and that'll be for the final uh, 10 or 12 minutes of the show. So I was just talking about how Facebook, Google, and Amazon are the, are the kingpins, basically, of this uh, surveillance capitalist economy, of which the data brokers are a big part, but it, it really is led by those three companies. But I'm going to throw Apple in there as well. Uh, I often talk about big tech companies, um, Facebook, Google, Amazon, and Apple. And I don't want to give Apple a pass here, not because Apple exactly uh, operates directly in that space of surveillance capitalism in in the sense that Facebook and Google and Amazon actively uh, buy and sell your personal data or have partnerships with these data brokers. Instead, what I wanted to point out is that apple takes an annual payment from google Uh, it's an estimated 10 to even 15 billion dollars per year from google in order for google to be the default search engine on iphones (laughs) and so uh, apple's ceo tim cook is always going on about how apple is all about privacy we stand with uh, users uh, for their privacy. Uh, we, we believe in privacy. The privacy is the is the catchword that he keeps returning to. And in my opinion, that's really a, a distraction from what Apple is really doing. Um, and, and on the one hand, um, Apple is complicit in some uh, very unethical practices. Uh, there have been reports of Apple suppliers in China um, knowingly using uh, labor from imprisoned Uyghurs, a, a subject that I've done uh, two or three shows on in the past. And then there is the usurious 30% cut in the App Store that Apple enjoys from its uh, largest app makers. Uh, and then there's this, that Apple is taking, as I said, 10 to $15 billion a year from Google in order for Google to maintain that default status as as the uh, the favorite search engine on iPhones and that to me is just amazing that you can have a menu item a, d- a default setting on a, on, a, on a smartphone and make 15 billion dollars a year just from that that's a l- that's a large amount of money even for a company like Apple and so, Tim Cook wants us to believe that Apple is all about privacy and is not engaged in surveillance capitalism, and yet a large part of Apple's profits every year come directly from the pioneer of surveillance capitalism, Google itself. So Apple is deeply complicit and does uh, enjoy the profits in part that Google makes from playing fast and loose with your personal and private data. Now we have established that the big tech companies, Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Apple, are involved in this surveillance capitalist economy that the data brokers are uh, are playing in. And now what I'd like to do is play the second excerpt uh, from last week tonight with John Oliver from April 10. And this is where he, having established as we just did, the the basic context around data brokers, he goes into some specific examples about what data brokers can and do do with your personal and private data. Here it is.
1: You might still think, I don't care about this. My life is an open book. I have no secrets. So data brokers can just have at it. Even if that is true for you, though, consider that there are others out there who might have very good reasons to not want to be found. Donna is a domestic violence victim. We're protecting her identity. One of her addresses came up on a data broker site. She says that's frightening.
0: If you have someone that's tried to kill you, for them to be able to just type in your name and any known address that you've ever stayed in can pop up, it's scary because now they know ways to start trying to find you.
1: Right. And that's not just theoretical, it has happened. In New Hampshire, a stalker killed a former classmate after finding her with information that he bought from a data broker for $45. And if you have a stalker or you're a victim of domestic violence, it is understandable to want your information removed from these people search sites. Unfortunately, each has its own specific and sometimes very complex process of requesting the removal of information. And there is no federal law requiring that they honour an opt-out request at all. And the lack of regulation here doesn't just benefit individuals who might mean you harm, it benefits the government too, because it gives them a very attractive loophole to the Fourth Amendment protection against unreasonable searches and seizures, because under that, the government typically needs a warrant to collect information about you without your consent. But if it is not forcing someone to turn over your data, if it's simply buying it from a data broker, that is apparently fine, no warrant necessary. And you can see how valuable that would be to them. It happens all the time. In fact, federal agencies from the FBI to ICE have purchased data without warrants, public disclosures or robust oversight to carry out everything from criminal investigations to deportations.
0: Okay. so again, that was uh, John Oliver from April 10. As we hear, there are some risks associated with having your data available to anybody, who visits one of these data broker sites, maybe it's, um, maybe someone out there has a stalker or maybe they're vulnerable in some other way. Um, The data brokers are making your personal data available, some of it for free and some of it for a small fee, uh, possibly $50 or, or something under $100. And that's available to anybody who wants to pay the data broker that small fee and um, do who knows what with your personal data. Now, who are these data brokers exactly? Uh, Well, I have listed a few of the data brokers on the playlist. Um, You're listening to either the archive or the podcast of this show. The best way to get there um, to the playlist where I have listed these is to go to the Tectonic website at tectonic.fm. That's T-E-C-H tonic.fm and find the April 18, 2022 show and click the playlist link. And you can see that I've listed uh, six of them. There are dozens of these data brokers out there, but I've listed six. I think uh, these are some of the biggest, if not the biggest six uh, data brokers that you should pay attention to. So uh, let's take the first one. It's called Spokeo, and that's uh, like spoke, like a bicycle spoke and then the letter O, S-P-O-K-E-O.com. If you go to Spokeo.com, type in your name and your location and just see what comes back. Um, you can try it, the same thing on the second data broker I list there, peoplesmart.com, and that's just peoplesmart.com. And again, type in your name, select your city and state, see what comes back. Um, one or both of them, unless you've done a takedown request with these companies, one or both of those sites should come back with a surprising amount of information uh, without you having to pay them anything. So it just gives you a sense of what's available for free on these sites, Um, your name, your age, your location. Uh, Some of these sites will have your home address, and some of them will list um, family members and other close relations with links to all those individuals for the corresponding records for them, showing all of their uh, information, name, age, location, and so on. Now, uh, I'll say again if someone pays the data broker whatever their fee is, 40, 50 bucks, they can get a dossier on you or your family members with even more information. And uh, that's, that's what's at stake. And you can also try this with. And I'll just read off the the other four data brokers I list on the playlist: FamilyTreeNow.com, MyLife.com, WhitePages.com, and Intellius.com. I n t e l i u s.com. Again, there are dozens of these data brokers, but those are just half a dozen to start with, and uh, just get a sense of of what they come back with. I think you, if you have not looked into these already, you'll be surprised and disturbed by the amount of information that's available for free, not even getting to what they're selling to randos online who want to put down 40, 50 bucks. All right. Now let's go to um, solution. Let's, Let's talk about what to do about these data brokers and what they're doing. If you don't want your personal info shared, you're going to have to issue a takedown request individually on each of these six sites or, if, or a dozen sites or more than a dozen, however many you want the, the um, information to come down from, you've got to do a takedown request with each one individually. And here's the thing, these sites do not make it easy. The process for uh, doing the takedown is often it's in a hidden part of the site they all have different instructions. They all ask you to do something different, email a different address or whatever, uh, requesting that your information get taken down. And, um, and it's obvious why. I mean, if they made it too easy to take down or request a take down of your information, then a lot of their profit would go out the door. Um, now, In my personal experience, uh, and I believe I did a takedown request with all six of these that I've told you about, they did eventually take down my information after a few days. Um, I did have to follow up, and a couple of them I think I had to request multiple times, but eventually they did do it. My sense is that not too many people go through the takedown request process, and for the ones who do, the data brokers, they don't... They don't mind because it's there's no um, significant amount of profit that they're losing out on, and they don't want any more complaints uh, from those uh, privacy oriented people, and so they just they they say fine, they take down the information as far as I can tell, um, and it's a good idea to do that. You may need to get a sheet of paper and write down the data brokers. And maybe put a check mark by the ones you've issued the takedown request for and maybe write down the date so you can track um, when you made the takedown request, with whom, and whether they followed up on it, whether they actually took down your data. It's kind of a pain, um, but remember the alternative is that for under 100 bucks, as we learned from John Oliver, a stalker or anybody who has any kind of a, a, a grudge or a complaint against you can... Go onto those sites, get your home address, names of your family members, and who knows what other uh, personal information, and do who knows what with that. It's a, it's a really, it's a crazy uh, situation that we're in. That we uh, have a system where our personal data, in, in, in to an intrusive degree, is so available, so easily available to anybody really and there's quite a bit of it as i said earlier there's quite a bit of your information that's available on some of these sites for free without anyone paying them now i've told you about the takedown requests that is a a kind of a solution and john oliver and i agree uh, on this point as as with others uh, in that show which is that the takedown requests are not a long-term solution yes you can go site by site and you probably should with with several of them to issue the takedown request but are we hoping that every uh, american adult is going to go through and issue a takedown request with every site for themselves and all of their uh, family members it's just it's not going to happen and the data brokers meanwhile are going to keep doing what they're doing until and unless there is a top-down response that's going to require Congress it's going to require federal regulation and this has got to be regulation with some teeth that uh, really punishes these data brokers for not complying for not complying with with the regulation uh, and until we get that top-down response everyone's data is at risk uh, there's no number of takedown requests that are are, are going to solve this problem we we need federal action, and until we get it, uh, this problem is going to be affecting uh, the vulnerable, first of all, and eventually all the rest of us. Now, having said that, and I agree with John Oliver, we, we need that congressional response, and he ended his show with a little, uh, you can watch, It's it's a little prank or stunt or something that may help nudge Congress into action, we'll see. But even in the best case, this is my thought on this, federal regulation is years away, even in the best case, if if it's ever going to happen at all. Uh, So in the meantime, between now and whenever we get some meaningful regulation, the stopgap solution, although it's not a long-term solution, but a reasonable stopgap is for you to go to those data brokers and issue those takedown requests one by one, which is a pain. But once you get it done, it feels a little better. And again, you can find the list of uh, half a dozen of those data brokers on the playlist. Um, Go to tectonic.fm and find the April 18, 2022 playlist. Or you can also go through the uh, wfmu.org archives, either way. Now, there's one last section of this that I wanna cover, and that is that this issue with uh, data brokers is one part of a much larger problem that we have, thanks to the malfeasance of the tech industry and the society that they have created for us. Um, that the it, This is not simply a problem of data brokers buying and selling your information, posting some of it online, and working very closely with Google, Facebook, and Amazon. All of that is true, but that is not the, uh, the, the totality of the problem that we're looking at. Uh, it's, it, the issue is much broader than just data brokers. And here I want to go beyond where John Oliver went. And this is not at all to cr- criticize uh, the John Oliver episode. I think he and his staff did a great job, and they're constrained by time, as I am to some extent, but uh, as I have a few more minutes, I want to at least paint a picture of the shape of how this is a larger, more systemic problem that data brokers are a part of, an important part of. Um, and so let me, let me give an example, and you'll, you'll figure out pretty quickly where I'm, where I'm headed with this. Uh, let's start with uh, the example of tax filing. And, and by the way, if you want to see the articles I'm going to be referring to, they, like the data brokers, are on the playlist um, that, that you can find. These, these articles are all linked there. There's an article in the Washington Post by uh, Jeffrey Fowler from April 12, and this has to do with uh, tax filing and surveillance capitalism, and, and as today is April 18 2022 it happens to be t- tax filing deadline for Americans so it's a it's a timely topic and the uh, The Washington Post article by Jeffrey Fowler is called you agreed to what tax sites want your data for more than filing and what Fowler writes is that uh his research reveals a little discussed evolution of the tax prep software industry from mere processors of returns to profiteers of personal data. And so what he talks about in this story is that two main tax prep companies really, really want to monetize your personal data. And those two companies are H&R Block, which is that chain of retail locations you've probably seen in strip malls here and there, uh, here in the U.S., where tax they have tax filers available f- to uh, help you file your taxes. And then the other one is Intuit, which is known for its uh, tax filing software called TurboTax. Some people just call it TurboTax and drop the Intuit. So H&R Block and Intuit TurboTax are really interested in your personal data. And if you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, in a perverse way, <laughs> again, the society that the tech industry has created for us. But your your tax filing document has an awful lot of personal data in it. It's got your income. It has your home address, your age, your social security, your marital status, the name of your spouse, if you're married, how many dependents, maybe the names of the dependents, um, any charities you give to, the status of some of your investments, if you're getting interest or capital gains. I mean, there's a wealth of data about you and your family in that tax filing document. Imagine, just imagine the profits that lie in the tax filing data of Americans who unknowingly are handing over that profitable information to these companies, these unethical companies that are willing to do unspeakable things with Americans' data. Now, of course, in the story, there are representatives from the companies that say, oh, no, we would never, oh, no, that's, we would never, we only uh, want to do this for the, it's purely for the benefit of the tax filers. We're only doing this for, for customers' benefit because we can then, I don't know, we, you can read the story to see what their uh, rationalization is. Moreover, they say, we give people a way to opt out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You can guess how easy it is to opt out of these uh, wonderful services that H&R Block and TurboTax are uh, offering people. These companies do not want you to opt out. And that's pretty clear from their uh, offerings, which read the Washington Post story by uh, Jeffrey Fowler. So this is one example in that uh, we are subject to surveillance capitalism, not just with the cookies and the breadcrumbs as we go around the web uh, from data brokers and Google, Facebook, Amazon. It's also in something that you might have thought could have been outside of that surveillance regime of tax filing. Okay, let's go to the uh, the next article, the next example is the news. Do you read news online? Do you go to sites like the New York Times or Wall Street Journal? Um, I'm not really interested in whether people read left-leaning or right-leaning newspapers, magazines, because they're all doing this. They all use trackers, these little, uh, essentially like cookies, these little tools that track your behavior and track your meanderings around the web and through their own platforms. So there's this guy named Bill uh, Bill Fitzgerald, who uh, on March 8th, posted something on his site called, Who Tracks You When You Read the News? Bill Fitzgerald did his own research into the number of trackers that various news sites have installed, and he found some (laughs) interesting results. Uh, One, for example, is just to take one of the uh, larger offenders in the number of trackers, the Wall Street Journal. If you read an article on the Wall Street Journal, According to Bill Fitzgerald's research, um, reading an article on the Wall Street Journal website will result in over 200 trackers being attached to your web browser, over 200 for reading one article. And again, this is not to pick on the Wall Street Journal. You can see uh, all political stripes and all sorts of uh, print media represented in his research, and they're all serving up trackers, again, to grab your personal data, your behavioral data, uh, and to match that up with your demographic data and maybe, you know, income, age, home address, and who knows what, so that data brokers can package that up and, and buy and sell that. Everybody makes a huge bit of money. The only person who loses out is you <laughs> when without your uh, consent and often without your knowledge, your data is being sucked up by these news sites. It gets worse, though. Bill Fitzgerald mentions that it's not simply the companies you've heard of, like Wall Street Journal and Facebook, that are uh, engaged in this practice. There are a host of other companies that you've never heard of that are doing all kinds of things. And he gives a good example, this one company called Beeswax. Um, I have never heard of Beeswax before, but um, uh, what Bill Fitzgerald says is that Beeswax... Company's tracker is used on the majority of the sites that he scanned. And in Beeswax's uh, privacy policy, it says it can collect your precise location and uh, it can get more data from unnamed third party companies about you. And if you have more than one device, say a phone, a connected speaker, and a computer, uh, Beeswax's privacy policy says it can actively tie all of those devices to you. In other words, Uh, there are dozens, maybe hundreds of companies that are engaged in surveillance and analysis and trading of your personal data in a a vast ecosystem that we're barely aware of. And it takes individual researchers like Bill Fitzgerald to point it out to us, and that uh, just underlines even more the importance of us mounting some kind of response against this surveillance economy. And uh, this is one final threat to us in this data broker economy. And as John Oliver said, we cannot solve this simply by asking data brokers one by one not to surveil us. Uh, We're going to have to mount a collective response, which is federal legislation. And that's as far as I'm going to take it for this recording. We're going to go back to the original broadcast from a couple hours ago. On Monday, April 18, 2022, when the stream um, was beginning to act better, and you can now enjoy the rest of the original show. The federal response that John Oliver talked about is going to have to come from the government. And the irony is there is a major story in The New Yorker by Ronan Farrow that talks about how governments themselves are getting in on the surveillance capitalist economy by surveilling their own citizens. One of the threats right now is a specific piece of software called Pegasus. Um, Let me read you what Farrow writes in The New Yorker. Pegasus, a spyware technology designed by NSO Group, an Israeli firm which can extract the contents of a phone, giving access to its texts and photographs or activate its camera and microphone to provide real-time surveillance exposing say confidential meetings and pharaoh continues there is evidence that pegasus this the spyware uh, software pegasus is being used in at least forty five countries and it and similar tools have been purchased by law enforcement agencies in the united states and across europe and Here's the here's the the punchline that I wanted to lead to in this show which is that the problem of data brokers is much bigger than data brokers. I'm really glad that John Oliver covered data brokers in his last week tonight show and and I would recommend listening to that. Uh but that the data brokers are just one piece of a much larger problem that we're facing in that we are building a global surveillance state that even the governments around the world are beginning to feed off of. And when the governments themselves begin to derive a great benefit from a surveillance state, they have less and less motivation to mount a federal response to do something about it. And that's when it gets very, very dangerous. So here's here's an example for you. Pegasus, as I said, is a spyware. It comes from this Israeli company called NSO Group. And Pegasus, I've covered it a couple of times on the show. It first got um, some notoriety when I believe the Saudi regime uh, was using it to spy on journalists and activists. And people said, "Oh, that's just terrible! Terrible that that uh, an authoritarian uh, government would use would use this Pegasus spyware." I'm shocked. I'm 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 horrified. Well, it turns out that There are non-authoritarian governments that are beginning to use Pegasus because they derive a benefit. What Pegasus can do is it can uh, surveil, directly surveil any iPhone, any iPhone. So if someone out there really wants to listen into your conversations, read your emails, see your photos, track your location and do everything else, they don't, uh, one way to, to get some of that is to pay a data broker fifty bucks and they'll get your location and and a lot of the other data we talked about earlier but if they really want to get inside your phone and have a direct connection to everything your phone is processing for you your voice your like I said your emails your social media photos everything else they simply have to get access to Pegasus identify your phone via Pegasus and they're in Now, Apple, of course, has said, oh, no, this is terrible. We're going to have a patch. We're going to do something about uh, what Pegasus is doing. I wouldn't count on it. NSO Group really knows what they're doing. And as Ronan Farrow points out, there are governments and law enforcement agencies around the world that are banging down their door to get access to Pegasus to then get access to your phone. What happens, friend? What happens, friends, when the government that we live under decide that the benefits of Pegasus and and associated spyware, there's, there's more on the way, the benefits of this spyware and the benefits of the surveillance state outweigh any downside of a fully surveilled citizenry. <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem that we're facing. Data brokers are um, just the canary in the coal mine. If you go go onto the playlist at WFMU.org, click playlists and comments, and click into any of these data brokers, Spokio, People Smart, Family Tree Now, My Life, White Pages, Intellius. There's more. Type in your name and your location. See what can come back for free on a public website. Imagine what could, what a, a, a stalker or anybody who has a grudge against you, imagine what they could get for fifty bucks and now multiply that by a thousand, and that's what someone, a law enforcement agency or a government with access to Pegasus could get on you should the uh, need arise, should they have a desire for any reason. Do we really want to organize our society in this way where everyone is carrying around a surveillance device that benefits the government to have access to fully surveil Unknown to the user, by the way. Unknown to the citizen without their knowledge or consent at any time, fully surveilled. What does that do for dissent, political dissent in, in countries? And I don't just mean authoritarian states. This country right here, what does it mean for dissent? What does it mean for for vulnerable populations, for, uh, for religious minorities, for example? Uh, what does it mean for vulnerable individuals who, as John Oliver pointed out, May have a stalker, may, may have suffered from domestic violence. What is it? What, what kind of a society are we building when carrying around a surveillance device, known as an iPhone or an Android device, is essentially required to function in, in, a, in a professional manner in, in society? It's, it's very difficult for a lot of people to imagine a world when they are able to put the iPhone down, put the Android down, and walk around with a flip phone. A few people do, but a lot of people can't because they're required to have the surveillance device on them at all times. Um, I hope that you will click through some of the data brokers and click through some of the links on the playlist to understand the the broad range of this problem that we're facing. I'm just, I'm trying to take what John Oliver did and broaden it to what I think is the full shape of this. It is the surveillance state, and it's coming for all of us. And mounting an individual response of, you know, hurling your iPhone into the Hudson River, metaphorically, is one thing we can do. Taking certainly taking any surveillance devices, Alexa devices to the e-waste facility. That's another thing you can do. Um, contacting these data brokers and, and finding their uh, their their hidden little instructions for removing your information, your family members' information. That's something we can do. That's great, but that's not a solution. That's a stopgap. We need something bigger. We need a collective response to put these data brokers out of business, and. If I had a magic wand, I would put the entire surveillance capitalist economy out of business. I would replace it with something that was more humane and more civil and more democratic than something where citizens are walking around being surveilled for profit, exploited for profit without their knowledge or consent. And yes, that would probably mean shutting down Facebook. And much of Google's profits would disappear and certainly... Uh, $15 billion from Apple's bottom line would, would go up in a puff of smoke, and what a better world that would be, honestly. Amazon would be, be in a heap of trouble as well. Why don't we start there? Why don't we figure out how to mount a better top-down response, a collective response, that addresses the issue at its root, which is the toxic business models of these big tech companies and their vassal, their vassal ecosystem. That's about all the time we have for this evening on data brokers. Again, sorry for the uh, transmission issues. I suspect it was my own home internet that was a problem. What I might do if I still have this issue, I may pre-record next week's show. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But I I, uh, I will address this problem for next week. Thanks for sticking with me. And uh, friends, you have been listening to the greatest radio station of the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. Until next time, friends, you know exactly what to do. Avoid Amazon and Apple. Forget Facebook and whatever you do, get off Google. I want you to stay tuned for another great episode of The Arbitrium with DJ Arb. And I want to thank, uh, I want to thank DJ Subron. For turning me on to this final outro song. It's called Compliance by the band Muse. Have a great week, everybody.
1: Compliance. We just need your compliance.
0: The Arbitrarium is your weekly soundtrack to the destruction of the last vestigial traces of traditional manhood in the race in order to realign the sexes, thus reducing population while increasing human happiness and preparing humanity for its next stage.